ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to these go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell, your host, Greg Dutcher, sitting across from me. Greg, how you doing today? I'm doing all right. It's been uh, two weeks since the last one, and we're going to hint to the readers. Um, let me tell you how the, uh, or the listeners, let me tell you how the Ravens have done <laughs> since then. They lost to Pittsburgh, and they beat Cleveland. And I'll stick by that. <laughs> we're laughing because we're recording this 10 minutes after the one that the listeners heard two weeks That's ago. That's right. So. But I'm sticking by it. That's right. The Ravens are now one and five, one and four. Yep. Woohoo! <laughs> and we have Steve Hartland joining us again. Steve, how you doing? Hey, great. Great to be here again. Thanks so much. I know. All 10 minutes later. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, as uh, as we said, um, you know, this is fresh in our minds, but um, you know, we may have even beat this a little bit. The whole blood moon thing—I don't know, guys. We, you know, we said in the last one that we were going to bring it up, but do you really feel like we want to bring well, it up? Well, anything else about I, it? I would say, Nathan, when I was looking at the blood moon, it made me desire a blood orange snowball, which is, I think, a cherry orange mixture. And I went down to the snowball stand, and they've already closed post Labor Day, so. I'm thinking maybe the harbinger is right that there is a massive coming collapse. I, I was going to say, uh, Greg, that just shows how different we are. It made me think I want a blood orange beer. <laughs> oh, Nathan, I don't say that because I'm a Bible believing Christian. So um, you know, you won't see anything like on my desk or anything of that nature. Uh, so uh, <laughs> in the office, yeah, blood orange beer. I didn't even know there was such a thing. Oh yeah, wow. Yeah, some of them can be really good. Like too. what's what's in what makes a blood orange beer? Well, uh, there's a fruit, blood orange. Okay, um, and so it's just brewed with that with that fruit. Wow. So it gives it a nice orangey citrus taste to it. Mm. It's actually um, sounds good. So as opposed to your Blue Moon, which has more of that subtle orange in it, yeah, um, this has a more vibrant flavor coming from it. Very yeah. very good. There's actually one Anderson Valley. Uh, I'm going to riff on beer a little bit here. Yeah. It's been a while since we've done we, that. We haven't. Do that. We haven't. Yeah. Um, Anderson Valley Blood Orange Goza. It is one of the – first of all, it's a goza. So you're getting that salty, sour characteristic, mm. which tends to not appeal to too many people. But the uh, blood orange in it actually kind of balances it out it pretty well. well. Um, so Anderson is, Valley. Anderson you, Valley. Do you know where that's made? It is out in California. I assume in an Anderson Valley. Yep. Uh, does that sound familiar, Steve, being a Californian? No, but blood oranges do. We had blood oranges out there. Oh. They're a larger orange. And the blood part, I guess, is that when you cut them open, it's pretty red in there. Wow. But really juicy, really, really? tasty. Oh, so the idea man. of a blood orange yeah. beer is pretty appealing. Yeah, you it's, it's good. Flying Dog has another one, too. Um, hmm. that They have a blood orange that's pretty decent. Really? But that Anderson Valley like that. is, um, that's my favorite, my favorite one. It's seasonal, so it's out this time of the year. So. Wow. Well, let me ask you, dude, because it is October on yeah. the calendar, so to speak, yeah. right now. You, last year, okay, I, I'm a big I love Sam Adams Oktoberfest. Sure, sure. When that comes out, I must always make sure I, I grab some, keep it in the fridge yeah. through the fall. Just seems a beer a lot of people like. Yep. My dad, my brother, people come over and best watch selling the game. beer from Sam Adams, I believe. Oh, is that huh. right? I think wow, so. I think it's a, a solid beer. Until last year, Nathan, mm-hmm. you told me I ruined you a little bit, didn't you, I? You did, but in a good way. Yeah. You wrecked me <laughs> in a good way. Um, it was for your edification, It brother, was. As iron sharpens iron. Yeah, so uh, one man sharpens so another. So one beer <laughs> trumps another. You you recommended the some of the German Oktoberfest. Yeah. And I thought, okay, well, that's just because, you know, they, but I mean, in my pride, I'm like, I'm sure Americans do things better. But you told me the Germans have stricter purity laws. In their water, yep. And they can only have, is it like four ingredients or? I, yeah, it's, what it is, is um, the purity laws really, um, really change up the flavor and taste. So, uh, and, and different people have different tastes. So the Sam Oktoberfest is a traditional American Oktoberfest. So yeah. you get that grittier, you get more of the bacteria going on in there. Yeah. For those of you who drink beer and you're thinking bacteria, ooh, quick little science lesson. There is no human pathogen um, that can survive in beer, so don't worry about it. That's this incredible. stuff is initially put in there um, on purpose to give the the flavors and the taste that you get out of it. And when you start studying um, beer and how it's brewed, you'll see it's more chemical compositions. Um, and a lot of it is actually tricking your palate into thinking it's tasting flavors that aren't there. Wow. So these guys who brew That's these things wild. are geniuses and they, wow. they understand the chemical compounds that go into these things. And so, you know, when you taste like a caramel flavor. Yeah. 
it's not always brewed with caramel. It's blue, brewed with a chemical that um, brings out that flavoring in the beer. Wow. And these guys are aware of that. They know how much to put in, when to put in, all that crazy stuff. Um, and so in Germany, you don't have that freedom, so to speak, with yeah. those things. There are stricter um, ingredients that can go in there. there the, the water um, isn't allowed to um, – it, it goes through, I believe it's this osmosis process, mm-hmm. a reverse osmosis process yeah. um, that makes it cleaner and more fresh yes. than how we brew our beer here in America. Yes. So when you drink an Oktoberfest in America, you think that amber, a mm-hmm. little heavier, a little darker. You get some of those caramelly notes. Yep. Maybe a lot of people are like, well, you know, pumpkin-y. Okay, sure. maybe, but those are more pumpkin beer. Yeah. But it, you know, on a nice, cool fall day, that's what you're sure. looking at and you're drinking. And okay, you know, it settles a little bit, so it's okay. The Germans don't have that. Yeah. Theirs are much crisper, yes. much more refreshing. I mean, you could have a German Oktoberfest in the middle of summertime, no doubt, and it's still refreshing and clean. Yeah, I think I've got to come see you in your store, <laughs> dude. Yeah, I'm telling you, Steve. It, have you walked me around and sent me home with some product? <laughs> yeah, I had two or three last year that you recommended. I can't remember yeah. the names. If you remember yeah. any of them, Nathan? Yeah, there was um, Hofbrau Oktoberfest Hofbrau is really good if good. you're um, looking for one. The Erringer. Oktoberfest is good. Weinstefaner. Any of those traditional German ones are really tasty. Again, different feel than the American ones, but still um, just a really nice uh, traditional clean beer. Yeah. See, take that reform pubcast. <laughs> those guys rock on beer, but every so often we can rock it. <laughs> because, I mean, one of those dudes is brilliant dude. That's Tanner. He's like yep. a medical student. Les is brilliant too. Yep. He's a theologian and quite a computer guy. But we have... The beer. We have the beer man. <laughs> uh-huh. Nathan Bell. So, you capitalize uh, on that. Well, I know, yeah. dude. I know. We uh, we actually, remember, Nathan, nobody took us up on that, but that was yeah. one of our prizes a yeah. few weeks ago. That was a, we, we said, hey, write an iTunes review, by the way, if you're listening, please write an iTunes review. Yeah. But, um, and if so, we would have sent a variety pack. No, uh-huh. it, what, it, what it was, was it was a bigger one. It was for those who like Facebook. Yeah. And if you recommended someone to like Facebook, have them go on and like it and yes. then have that person email us with your name. Yeah, that's and, right. And really, like to win the contest, all you needed was one person. I know. So to those of you who are still out there, yeah. if you had one person like Facebook because you recommended it, it's it's still up in the air. The, yeah, it's there. <laughs> and at this time, could we throw in some of those Oktoberfests that you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. So, so the sorry, prize- Steve, you, you can't do it. You're an employee. Uh, <laughs> Hartland's already got six guys. I can, have, I can have one of my kids do it. So the prize was that we were going to put together a mix six for you. I yeah. was going to go to the store and pick one out and we were going to you know get it to you somehow. Yep. So yep. nobody took us up on that offer. Um, still there. So it's still there. Still Man, there. What's wrong with the Trinity people who listen to <laughs> Yeah, this? I know. Yeah. yeah, Or the Christ Fellowship Come on, people. Trinity yeah. guys. Got to get our priorities right, man. So yeah, here's a here's a fresh start. We're we're in October, so the beginning of October, Oktoberfest. So I will put together. We'll we'll go ahead and extend that. I will put together six Oktoberfest beers. That's great. Dude. I'll mix it up. I'll do three German, three American style, yeah. so that way you can taste nice. them, see the difference. Yeah. Um, so no man. I'll and if you it. want to, uh, if you want to kick a little bit uh, extra back to me, I will do a personal tasting with you. Oh my goodness! So dude. for for a small fee, I will do a personal tasting with you wow. on that. Wow, that is a um, that's a Maryland offer, probably. That's right yeah, that Nathan is. Nathan will not be crossing state lines no, to do no. that. No, <laughs> um, it's awesome. So. Um, yeah, where were we? Yeah, we were blood <laughs> oh, moons. Blood, blood, yeah. blood moons. Well, that's so, it. so yeah, I think we're done with blood. that. Blood <laughs> moons, beer, same thing. Anything else with you on the blood moons? On Steve? the blood moons? Yeah. Ah, uh, it's just another one of these things that's uh, spectacular. Mm-hmm. And yeah. people will flock to it yeah. and come on, let's grow up and why. At the yeah. end of the day, can't we just look at it and say and, and point it back to God and say, God, your creation is amazing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Isn't it cool? You know. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean I no doubt. I mean, when you see these, uh, you know, just uh, astronomical phenomena yeah. that are so impressive, yeah. and you know, that's what Lou Giglio was doing a few years ago. That was yeah. so effective for people. You know, you yep. go travel and he just show, and he's not an astronomer. He just no. studied enough. Yeah. Say, hey, let me show you know show you some things that I've seen and learned. Yeah, sort of the how great is our God? Yeah, it's awesome. Well, and too, like um, I know. Um, you know, if you've ever seen the Star of Bethlehem, you know that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that is to, to me. You and I talked about that a little bit, yeah. Greg, and you were like, "This mm-hmm. it's a cool video," yeah. but you know, I wouldn't take his interpretation on scripture, you yeah. know, and all that stuff. No, but it was fascinating. The one thing that he did that I thought was great was, first of all, 
he, he admitted up front, he's not a theologian. Yeah. He's a lawyer. He just kind of, he's got this computer software program that yeah. tracks stars and things like that. And so he just kind of did a little leg, leg work and his thoughts are cool. Yeah. It's agreed. interesting to, to look at that and, and, and ponder, ponder that stuff. But one of the things he said was, as he's showing this whole presentation, is that when you think about the stars in the universe, it, it, it is God's perfect clock. Yeah. That before the fall of man, and, and he goes into Christ's coming, um, his, his birth and his, um, his death and the things that were going on in the sky at that time. One of the things he said is that when you consider what the astronomers would have been looking at in that day, and he particularly focuses on the wise men more than anything, sure. um, that God, when he threw creation into existence, when he spoke it into, into existence, all of those pieces were put in motion even before the fall of man. Yeah. And so it just shows God's great and perfect plan, his sovereignty, that all of these things were going to happen yeah. regardless. Yeah. Yeah. Amen, dude. It's incredible. I mean, yeah. uh, in, at the risk of shameless self-promotion, that was the sermon yesterday. In, yeah. In the sense, not the stars per se, but just the, the sovereignty. It, yeah, the yeah. history of Judah. Yep. And, you know, you're reading – I'm, I'm in, in, in Joshua right now, Steve. First 12 chapters, interesting, you know, battles, warfare, spy Challenging, like how do you preach that, huh? Then you get to 13 and it's all the settlement of the land and endless chapters of minutia. Yesterday was all about Judah, who obviously first um, uh, in terms of getting their allotment. And, you know, I sort of used it to do a, a biblical theology of the tribe of Judah from beginning to end from Jacob's prophecy, you know, that the scepter shall not depart all the way to the end in revelation. You know, I, I wept. No one was worthy to open the school, the, uh, scroll, uh, elder said, stop weeping. I looked and there's the lion of the tribe of Judah, Judah. you know, who was a lamb slain to kind of trace it out. And then to just see how God preserved this tribe when it looked in several places, like they yeah. weren't going to survive, preserve them. I mean, you just see God's intricate sovereignty, displayed in so many things so yeah i mean that's that's the, the message for the kids i not the harbinger stuff to me but right guys look i mean look what god does yeah that's an old puritan quote i think it was john trapp said uh i've mentioned this before that um god made the country and man made the town and you can tell the difference yeah <laughs> isn't that a great quote yeah, that's good i mean you know yeah we can do some impressive things yeah we cannot we out, do that no yeah. we cannot uh -huh. do what he does dude and it's yeah. incredible um, so we are going to get uh, on topic now that we've kind of riffed a little bit. It's been a while since we've just kind of riffed a little I know, bit dude. Uh, before I love the it. podcast. So. I hope our listeners love it. That's right. Uh, well, whether they do or not, they're stuck yeah. with it. Yeah, so. we're, we're, hey, you, they can always turn it off. <laughs> um, so today um, we want we teased this a little bit two weeks ago. Uh, well, what would be two weeks ago now? Um, and that is, are some of our Reformed uh, – mentors, friends, theologians out there going a little too grace heavy in, dare I say it, the wrong direction? Mm. Are they focusing a little too much on the grace and the sanctification that grace should bring as opposed to just the pure, sweet grace of Jesus Christ and the gospel? Mm. Um, and I know this is something that's been weighing on you a little bit, um, Greg. Um, so talk to us a little bit about that. Talk to us about what brought this topic um, up in your mind. Yeah, it's, I don't know if there was one sort of singular event. It's something I've noticed more recently. Mm -hmm. uh, have not done any clinical study. I, I can't say that, hey, I've been uh, monitoring the blogosphere and sermons from some of our great reform luminaries, Piper and Chandler and these guys. I, I've just been paying attention for the last couple of years uh, to, you know, sort of some of the trends, what, what, Gospel Coalition, you know, we just had Trevin Wax on last yep. week. He was, he was a great guest and sort of asked him, uh, you know, what's trending right now? Uh, we, we didn't talk about that issue uh, specifically, but I, I, l let me give you three. Uh, in the last uh, couple of weeks, I just went and I searched some. I, I was on a site that was featuring some of David Platt's work, you know, who wrote Radical. Mm -hmm. Definitely a reformed luminary, very popular guy that has a tremendous heart for missions. And, you know, I'm, all these guys I'm going to name are good solid guys. I'm not throwing the heresy card or anything sure. like that. But there was a quote from him that said, the heart of Christianity or the center of Christianity is about abandoning ourselves. And uh, 
I'm sure there's a context for that quote. Mm. So I, I recognize that. But that was a quote that was being featured as David Platt. And I wanted to say it, it isn't. Yeah. The heart of Christianity is not about abandoning ourselves. Isn't the heart of Christianity the grace of God in Jesus Christ offered to us in the gospel? Um, we'll go on desiring God. Here's where I really get in trouble. Man, I mean, can you say anything about John Piper and, and survive? I guess we're not getting Piper on here. No, I, I mean, since that was never a possibility, I'm going to rock and roll. Um, you know, John Piper, I've quoted a lot through the years. Yeah. Obviously, an extremely influential, evangelical-minded leader. Shared some really, really great things. I, I feel him in particular, almost every time I look at the website, Desiring God website, the, the quote that was featured most recently, and I'm paraphrasing, was something like, I don't want to be... Uh, an entertainment-addicted, security-craving, approval-dependent Christian. And it's sort of the American Christianity is soft, it's weak, and here we go. I did share with you guys beforehand, and watch me have put it away, but uh, Tony Runke, who's a brilliant dude, he's kind of the guy, if I understand right, that, that more or less runs or helps run the Desiring God ministry website, etc., um, he shared a quote from Piper in 1991. I'm, I'm reading it to you right off the Twitter feed. This is from a few, four days ago. It says, we're not in danger of legalism through spiritual discipline in the American evangelical meet my need, cushy Christianity. And I mean, it's only a quote. It's only what 130, what six or eight characters right, you're allowed right. on Twitter. So I realized that, but it was featured there by Runke. And I want to say, aren't we always in danger of legalism yeah. in every culture? In a sense, do we say, well, we don't really need to preach Galatians because we don't really deal with legalism, uh, you know, legalism in American Christianity. And I just want to say I have had people in my office that are dealing with the harmful effects of legalism, and it has devastating consequences in their lives. Um, other quote, I not a quote, but I went on challenge. You know, Tim's been a guest on our program, so mm -hmm. I'm being cautious here. But even among the um, trends that I see, I see Challies writing a lot of things like he did one recently why a Christian should not wear a crucifix. Mm -hmm. I'm not even saying I disagreed with his conclusions. Sure. Just wondered, I don't know sometimes, like we're leading with this. I mean, I, frankly, if there's a Christian in my church that's wearing a crucifix, I, I don't care. Right. I really don't care that much. And I, I don't think that's, you know, but Jesus is not on that cross any longer. Brother. And they might argue back, yeah, but I remember that Jesus Christ died for me. That's what, okay, I, I just am more interested in how is the gospel right. impacting that person. I feel like today, among, among many of our reformed luminaries, it's almost as like, yeah, we, we've got the grace of, the, of justification, who we are in Christ now. We need to spend all of our time, even when Calvin is Batman. Yeah. Hey, Bruce, if you're listening, we yeah. love you. Yeah. But that was the big issue to him. Right. Uh, there seems to be the sense that we, we hear about the justifying, but we don't give much thought to the sanctifying grace. I feel like everybody I read or listen to in the reform community right now yeah. is pounding away at the sanctifying grace. Yeah. And I personally am coming to believe it's disproportionate yeah. uh, in certain circles and potentially harmful. Yeah. There's my soapbox. Steve, you want to stand up there with me or uh, push me down from it? No, I'm actually very much with you. I have not been making the observations that you're making uh, just because I'm not paying attention to those <laughs> websites. <laughs> blog. But, uh, but hearing you talk about them, uh, the whole thing troubles me because – Everybody is coming from somewhere, right? Everybody has a set of experiences in their background that leads them to look at current issues from a certain vantage point. In my background, for years and years and years, through the Bible college I went to, the seminaries I went to, several of them, uh, and then a larger church movement I was a part of, there was a lot, a lot, a lot of legalism. Yeah. And, and I was involved in it, and I preached some of it, and I taught some of it, and I was a legalist in some ways, and I have really, really, really deeply repented of that and sought to you know, clean everything out of me that I can that's legalistic. However, I know there, there, is, a, there is a legalist inside of every one of us just oh, yeah. waiting to come out. Yeah. Just as John Calvin said, our hearts are idol factories, or I think our hearts are law factories as well. Mm, we're, yeah. we're, we're legalists. So I think we really have to watch out for legalism. But in, in this larger church movement that I was a part of, you almost you couldn't mention grace without quickly 
mentioning some other things for fear that you know the grace is going to be misunderstood, the grace is going to be abused. For example, the Titus 2 passage, this is scripture, so it's yeah. great. But when you make this the only scripture, the main scripture, the constant scripture you appeal to when you're going to talk about grace, I think you've gotten lopsided. And it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And then here's the part we would have to get to very quickly. Right. Here's right. what real grace does. Here's only what grace does, always what grace does. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives of the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing in Christ. So, uh, you know, the whole movement I was in, that verse was mentioned a lot. That's grace. Yeah. That's grace. Grace teaches you to deny yourself. Grace teaches you to, to crucify your sins and so on and so forth. Um, you know, there are a lot of other passages in the New Testament about grace that don't read that way. Right. This right. one does. There are yeah. a lot of them that don't, that are just about grace. It's grace. It's grace. So I'm kind of the other way. I'd rather see more, more about grace, 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 grace. This reminds me of, uh, I, I love Spurgeon. I think he got so many things right. Yeah. And I think he got grace right. And I haven't noticed, maybe you have, I haven't noticed tendencies toward legalism in him, but yeah. he actually criticized um, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, saying that he criticized Bunyan and Pilgrim's Progress, mm-hmm. saying that Bunyan took too long to get Pilgrim's burden off. He took too long to get Pilgrim just free at the yeah. cross. It's like there were too many works involved. Right. There was some legalism involved, right. is what, mm-hmm. what uh, Spurgeon was actually saying. Uh, the great John Owen, in his volume six on the mortification of sin in the yeah. life of the believer, who did I read? Who was it? Somebody else, you know, a great Christian guy said, uh, oh, to have been one of Owen's carnal Christians. It's like Uh, he set the bar so high for mortifying your sin, or you're not even a believer, that you can't can't even attend to it. If I could just be one of his worst Christians, I'd be doing pretty good. Mm. There's this tendency in a great guy like John Owen. What can I say about Owen, right? You know, a giant, but... Uh, I will say, I, I've, I've been through that volume six a bunch of times. I've led a Bible study with other guys in that volume six. And looking back on it, I think there's a lot of legalism in it. I I'd do rather too. hear more about grace, 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 grace. Yeah. And I have never found, in, in the periods of my life where grace is emphasized, the freedom of grace in Christ, I have never found that to turn me licentious. Thank you, Steve. I have rather Thank found you. that to make me so appreciate grace and yeah. Christ and his cross and redemption and and love him because of it, that it, it changes me. It yeah. sanctifies me from the inside out, not because yes. law is pressing in on me, but because my heart's pressing out saying, that grace, I want to follow him. I want to yeah. do what he says. Um, so I don't I still want to say I don't think we can emphasize grace yeah. enough, yeah. and I think we do need to worry about legalism in a big, big way. Yeah, yeah. This idea that, oh, legalism um, isn't um, an issue because we're so soft is to me a surprisingly stunted, dare I say, immature perspective. Mm. Uh, I mean, legalism and licentiousness to me are just, they're human nature issues that, as you said, you kind of modified Calvin's statement. I think it's a great statement. Yeah, it's a law factor as well. We're looking for it. We're looking for laws. What I find is people in preaching often want clear, hard application and I've mentioned many times I've always struggled with application, and I don't do it as effectively as I. <laughs> Me too. I'm I glad to hear you say that. Yeah. I assume you're really good at that. Oh no, my goodness! No? no, I don't think so. I mean, you probably would admit it. You don't hear me do much application. No, I, no. I tend. And to- actually, I, I've said this before. <laughs> I applaud you for that. Well. Yeah, um, because because I think you can get too legalistic yeah. with uh, application. Uh, that, yeah. uh, that's what I've found. That's often uh, where we go wrong when you yeah. say this means that you should. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like my my dear friend Dave Shive, who I respect more than anybody, and will be on in a week or two with our special guest mm-hmm. uh, next week. Actually, last uh, week. Last week. Yeah, who <laughs> <laughs> we've already heard it was on last week. <laughs> that's what I meant to say. Boy, dude, this is like a time travel experience today. <laughs> You know, I feel like I got to catch up with my younger self and tell Mind him what to do. Blown. Um, Dave shared something from the pulpit one time when he was preaching about um, he and Kathy, his dear wife's, their giving habits that they made a declaration on. Dude, I respect it. I love it. Mm-hmm. I I've seen it in action. He he was very careful about it. He wasn't so specific that he said this and that. Just some thoughts on the giving habits. The reaction, in my opinion, I see to those illustrations. I tend to not like. Yeah. Uh, it's not that uh, there aren't some healthy ones, but there tends to be a an almost instantaneous 
crystallizing of those statements into hard, concrete realities that, that I need to do. So I went home and I told my wife, Dave Shive did this, and that's what we need yeah, to we do. We need to, yeah. And I was thinking, and Dave never said that. I mean, yeah. I, to, to be fair to him, he never said do this. He was sharing an illustration. So I just find that the danger of application is always there, that people want to do what the pastor says or the great author says, and this is what you do. Um, I mean, the irony is I see it with Piper. All the, do you know how many wannabe Pipers are, are out there? I've met them <laughs> yeah. all the time. Yeah, I, I yeah. see them all the time. And uh, our friends on the Happy Rant talked about this maybe six months ago. Yeah. Barnabas Piper, obviously, who probably knows John better than most people. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought made an excellent point. And I'm paraphrasing this, and they'll never listen to this podcast. So I don't need to worry. But if this gets to Barnabas, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, he said that his father is an extremely unique individual. Yeah. Extremely extreme in his persona. My impression of John Piper is that he would be extreme no matter what who he was and what he was he doing. Did, yeah. Just it's his basic temperament. It's right. his DNA. God bless him. That's how he's wired. You know, if he's going to approach something, he's going to do it with all of his heart. It's going to be there. And he said a lot of people get excited about John Piper's theology, which right. I think the glory of God, desiring God, Christian hedonism, so many good things in there that we can consider. Um and they also then say, I want to be like him. Right. And they try to imitate his rather unique life, which right. frankly is Spartan, yeah. lives virtually a Spartan existence. He's almost monastic hmm. in his approach to life. I mean, I've heard enough sermons from him, enough self-disclosure that I would say, Piper's virtually a monk. I mean, virtually a monk. Dude hasn't watched TV since 1968. You know, I think he fasts a day a week. Hmm. Um, he is monastic. I have no problem with that because that is his persona. Right. But so many people, that's who you need to be. Yeah. To if be you're a, real, a serious, serious Christian. Christian. Yeah. yeah. Got to be. And what happens? People do it. They do it crappily. <laughs> and then you're, you're, you're judging other people right. that aren't doing what you're doing. Right. Not even well yourself. Right. Um, so that's why I was really concerned about um, some of these trends that I see. Yeah. The David Platt stuff, I just got to say, man, just my opinion um, – he is a reformed, modern Keith Green. I loved Keith Green's music as a young uh, believer. I think Keith Green was extremely legalistic. Mm -hmm. Extremely. No compromise, inspiring book. But to me, it's a chew the, the meat, spit out the bones. Right. I mean, Green had some extreme views on what to do and what not to do in situations. Um, I mean, I read Radical finally about two years ago. I, 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 I was kind of bothered by it. Yeah, <laughs> you look like so you want to say something, Steve. I'm just trying to stay out of trouble. Yeah, uh, a lot of people love that book. I know they do, and people who are listening to this who are in my church probably love that yeah. book. But yeah. I, I read it very quickly. Yeah, and wasn't overly impressed. Yeah, mm -hmm. see, I've been around long enough to see things come and go and yeah. come and go. Right. I mean, here's another thing that's coming and going. All right, is, we're going to be really radical. We're going to deny all this and not have those pleasures and whatever. Yeah. Ah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, the, the Bible does say, you know, take up your cross, deny yourself, mm -hmm. follow Christ. But does that really mean I can't watch TV? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people would say, yeah. I mean, yeah. that, look, a, um, I'll say this. It was, it was, I had an email dialogue with Kevin DeYoung. Um, he, he gave a sermon in, um, the Legionnaire conference that I was at this past year, which was just a disappointing experience. Um, I'm, hmm. pu I'm putting out that publicly because I communicated that with Legionnaire. It was disappointing for a number of reasons. But one of the chief shocks to me, I, I very much like Kevin DeYoung, and I want to say that. I, I yeah, do. me too. Great I mean, respect. We hand out his book on the will of God, Just Do Something, by the bucketful. Uh, we haven't ordered it recently, but I think that is one of the best, most helpful books for the parent. Oh, where do I send my kid to college? Oh, what should I do with my life? Who should I marry? These common things that people struggle with. Just good balance. To me, it's a... It's a cliff note version of that book we've talked about uh, before, Decision Making in the Will Friesen. of God by yeah. Friesen. I think it's better written, actually. I think it's a little less cumbersome, and it's very punchy. I think DeYoung is, is a brilliant man. So I want to, those are all my caveats out there. He preached a message at the Legionnaire Conference that I just thought was awful. I was sitting in my seat. You guys are brave. Getting angry. You know? <laughs> I haven't said uh, anything I like yet. <laughs> yeah, I was. I just thought it was awful. And you can listen to it online if you go to go it. Go on. What about it? Well, um, it was extreme. Okay, he, he started the sermon by talking about Kim Kardashian. 
Um, and he said, you know, I, I was driving. And DeYoung is great on his delivery. He's got that dry sense of humor. So some of that you can get away with it. But he starts by saying, you know, I was, I was driving in my car and I was uh, heading to church one morning. And I was just uh, listening for a traffic report. And, uh, you know, right before the traffic report, they give a little puff piece. And they say, and coming up after the break, guess what Kim Kardashian, her latest craze is. And then he said, you know, and as I'm driving, I did, I have to admit, I found myself wondering, <laughs> what is Kim Kardashian's greatest craze? He starts with that and kind of backs off like, what, what's going on? Dude, are you serious? Hmm. Like all of a sudden, natural curiosity about a known celebrity is something I need to worry about? Uh, hmm. and, and that's how he started. Um, and then he, the, the most bizarre element of this message, which is what I really, uh, and I emailed Kevin all this stuff, you know, not that he knows me from Adam. Don't lose where you're going, but pause. Yeah. There's this tendency to worry about things that don't need to be worried about. Yes. Isn't there? Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Go ahead. That, no, I think that's a great point. Yeah. That was one of my first thoughts. And I kept thinking it from the perspective of a young person hearing this, like some 21, 22 year old guys trying to love oh, the Lord. It's like, oh man, I did that the other day. And here's this great Kevin Young saying, Basically, you shouldn't do like you should have turned off the radio because it was a Kim Kardashian puff piece story. Who cares? Yeah. I want to know, yeah. Yeah. and I'm unashamed to say it. I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness, it's it's just straining at the net. So he he starts by saying that, and then he uh, in the sermon uh, gives some examples of holiness. It was First John two fifteen, worldliness, etc. So I was really curious to see what he would do. And to me, it was just old school legalism. Mm. That's that, and I was surprised because I think Kevin DeYoung is much better than this. My personal opinion, my guess is sometimes you play to the audience. Mm. Uh, I found myself doing that, so I'm wondering if that that might have been the case because it was a non DeYoung type message to me. But he um, he proceeded to give some examples about. Um, let me think what he he shared uh, the famous movie standards. In the 1930s, it had a name, and I can't remember what the name was, but you could Google this, the such-and-such movie standards. And he um, he read them that uh, two people could never be shown in a bedroom unless the characters were married, unless each foot was on the floor. Uh, it was these sort of details. And he was saying the point, you know, maybe some of this sounds silly, but look at the better place we were. Then he makes – he catches himself. He makes a quick comment – about now, I know not everything was perfect back then. Like we had institutional uh, racism uh-huh. that affected Hollywood, and I'm thinking, wait, wait a minute. So now, yeah, we do have too much sex in movies. I'll be the first to say that, but we don't have institutional racism. So I'm sort of like, I don't know. Do we want to debate that sexual immorality is better is or worse, better than or that. worse than institutional sanctioned cultural racism? But Greg, can I just say that um, if we were in the 1930s, we wouldn't have Daredevil, and that would make I, us sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you about that, dude. In my email exchange with Kevin, I, I and I want to compliment him. I didn't think I'd get a response from him mm-hmm. because, you know, I mean, this is a, a, a really well-known guy. He's got to be super busy. So I, I respect that he responded to me quickly. And uh, we had an exchange mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, um, I – you know, it was just I sent it to my elder team, said, sure. hey, guys, because we talked about this at the conference. This is the dialogue I had with uh, Kevin DeYoung. And, um, you know, I did say that he, he started raising questions. Should we be watching things with blank, with this, with mm-hmm. that? And I asked him on my email the question, I said, Kevin, from everything you said, a, a person should never become an English major which is what I was, because you have to read D.H. Lawrence. You have to read Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Shakespeare has some of the raunchiest, bawdiest. It's, yeah. hidden, it's hidden by that, you right. know. By the language. Mid-English right. language that it, it covers it up, but it is there. It is raunchy. You've got to play like Titus Andronicus, where the characters at the end kill their, uh, or kill one of the boys. No, they kill their mother, cut her up, and bake her in a pie, and then feed it to one of her sons. Her favorite sons. I mean, you've got some really nasty stuff in Shakespeare, but it's it's one of these things where I said this to Kevin Young. I said, "Where where do you stop? Right? Because we shouldn't be doing this, um, right?" And and that's the way I got him. The one thing that was telling is I mentioned like, and obviously you could never watch a show like Breaking Bad. And, and in a moment of levity, I tried to say, you know, Kevin, I said, and until you've binge watched Breaking Bad on a weekend. You're missing the best in life. Had a very serious response. Back, he said, maybe binge watching Breaking Bad is not the most helpful thing for Christian discipleship. So, uh, okay. <laughs> All right. right. 
Uh, I, I will say this, and a lot of people think it's an excuse. I cannot tell you. I'm just going to put it out there. The number of, of conversations I have had, and I mean this, I will, I will verify. I have to with unbelievers yeah. that watch Breaking Bad, that love it, and we've talked about the brilliance of the show, mm-hmm. the narration, the characters, the acting, the clever clues that link one episode to another. It's been mm-hmm. fascinating, and I have no shame at all right. in saying. That. In other words, it's up to me to know my heart before God, right. and what becomes idolatrous. And what becomes yeah. fun pastime. But I, I just fear that there is this – too much is said about things that the Bible doesn't say. And I've, you've yeah, all – Back to that thing. Yes, yeah, One of my favorite themes. If, say what the Bible says. There's right. enough there to keep us right. busy. Yes, yeah. yes. That we don't yeah. need to start adding these sort of standards to it. And, well, I think it's obvious that we shouldn't do this. And then you start saying, well, maybe we shouldn't watch – the NFL games. I was about to say, what about binge watching football on a Saturday? Right, yeah. right. Is that just as bad as yeah. binge and watching? He, or I would say Kevin Young would probably say yes. Or on a, <laughs> on a Sunday. Sunday, you know, yeah. and then you could say, well, you shouldn't watch the NFL because look at how they exploit cheerleaders uh, that are dressed too inappropriately. And I'm not even saying that's not true. Look at the right? Lavish lifestyles of the players. Of the players. And, right. It just gets to the point where I just feel like, man, live Coram Dale, live your life before God. Yeah. Or pretty soon, I'm at the effort of cloister. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. You ever been there? No. Oh, you no. gotta go see that place. But all right. Yeah. Another time. <laughs> I um, uh, yeah. I know I'm on a soapbox here, dude. Well, and, and let me just go back um to to the verse that you read, Steve, um, and just read it one more time because there are some things that I um I, I want to pull out from there that you said because we look at grace almost as two separate functions and factions, and I think as um, believers, reformed and, and unreformed, we have this idea of the work of the Holy Spirit and its function and job. So just read that one more time, yeah. if you would. Uh, Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Verse 12, Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, dot, dot, dot. So first of all, it says the grace of God. And it doesn't distinguish between the grace of salvation and then the grace of sanctification. It's the grace of God. It's all the grace of God. And if we look at that, I think it's in Philippians where um, Paul talks about, um, you know, continuing the race um, or not continuing the race. Uh, I'm going to draw a blank now. uh, Are you thinking of working out your salvation? Yes, work out your salvation. Yeah. It's God who works in you. to. It goes on. It's God who works in you. So the same God who works on you to salvation works through your salvation with you when right. you are saved. And, and there's almost this sense that, well, wait, we can preach the grace of Christ and we can pre- preach how all that is God and he's working his time through an unbeliever to bring them to a point of salvation. But now once you're a believer, it's up to you how fast you get through into your sanctification. Agreed. Well, wait a minute. That seems to be saying it's the grace of God in Titus. So if it's the grace of God that's working in us and it's the grace of God that's teaching us and training us, mm-hmm. it's a process. Mm-hmm. Um, I've At this point, I have two black belts in martial arts. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this a long time. I didn't I'm, know that. I'm working, I'm working, on, a, uh, working on a third one. I'm going to treat you with greater respect. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I'll tell you what. I've been doing this my whole life. It takes discipline. It yeah. takes training. Yeah. How much more so the Christian life takes discipline and training. There are moves that I have been working on my entire life that I've just now to this day have been able to to master and get down. There are moves that I will never get down and I will never understand because they are that complex. You know what? The same thing in my Christian faith. Mm-hmm. There are things in my faith that today God has illuminated and he has, he has opened that door so that in my training – I have I have got it. I have understood it. It's that aha moment. It's all because of him, not yeah. because of me. And there are things I'm going to die not ever having um, finished and accomplished. Yeah, that yeah. that will come on the day when I see him. Yeah, and and we act like, well, you know, you, you were sanctified. You 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 were brought to salvation through Christ through the Holy Spirit. It's all him in salvation. But once you're saved, these are the things you now need to do to work through your salvation, to become right. sanctified. Right. Yeah, and it can become almost a science in the next step. That's where, yeah. where Jerry Bridges, to huh. me, has been so helpful. You know, that he's he said, if you ask most Christians, we don't quite admit it like this, but you kind of think you need the gospel on the front end and discipleship on the back end. Yeah. You get in the house through the door by grace. 
you kind of stay in the house through spiritual discipline. Yeah. And he says, you know, his, his signature statement is no believers or unbelievers need the gospel. Yeah. Believers need the gospel. Yeah, I think yeah. a whole lot of where I came from believed just that and taught just yes. that shamelessly. Right, you know? almost yeah. that this was the yeah, this is it. teaching of grace scripture. Grace got you saved. Now you got to knuckle down and work now hard here. Yeah. You have to work, and you're right. That centrality yeah. of grace somehow yeah. evaporates in time. I, the other thing that stands out, I just want to say, in fairness, I, I'm not saying passages like First John don't have profound things to say to us. Right, um, Titus two, you know, which Steve has now read twice. But do you know what I tend to see is the focus in those passages, and tell me, Steve, you think I'm getting this right, are on internal. They tend to be about desires, impulses, mm-hmm. these things that are within us, the flesh that's waging war. Um, and I'm always uncomfortable when passages like that are taken and the message is all about external things that are bad. Mm-hmm. Um and it's a very subtle shift. I see the connection. The problem is it denies the fact that I, I'll be the first to say. I've talked to guys. I mean, alcohol is the simple example. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy that was an alcoholic, my, my good friend Don, who was an elder at my former church. I'm stuck here. He's, uh, <laughs> I got wrapped up in the microphone. I'm so passionate. He um, it is part of his public testimony. Uh, you know, he was an alcoholic for 17 years. Um, he, he cannot drink. Mm-hmm. And he'll admit that. He did something to his wiring that he cannot drink. Mm-hmm. Don should not drink. Mm-hmm. He should not drink. I mean, it, this is what he would say is his own experience. I talk to guys that say, Greg, listen, I grew up. I just have always had a very active and imaginative sexual imagination. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I watch a movie and a girl is dressed scantily or something, I these things happen. What I'm asking the person to focus on is your internal mm-hmm. desires. And yes, that's going to play out in the external stimuli that's there. We don't need to uniformly codify the stimuli. This is good. This is bad. We need to help believers understand, hey, what things are helpful to you and what things are harmful. You've got to figure that out yourself. I can tell you for a fact, when I've watched Breaking Bad, I've watched these things. We've talked about this before. I have never, um, ever lost... My shock value. This is often the argument. We've talked about this in another right. podcast, but it's been a while, and hopefully people don't remember. You often hear, well, you watch violence, it desensitizes you to real violence. Um, <laughs> I, I've watched, like many American kids, I don't know how many countless murders uh, on action films and superhero right. films and you know, uh, law and order type murder mysteries and these sort of things. How many things? I have not. I mentioned in my extended family, uh, one person, I'm being careful about privacy, uh, lost their grandparents. They were they were murdered in their home. It was uh, mm-hmm. breaking and entering. Uh, they were both savagely stabbed. I first heard that story, and I, I thought I was going to throw up. Yeah. Um, so I tell myself, okay, in my life experience, in Greg Dutcher's life experience, all those murders, those fictional murders that I have seen personally have not desensitized me to the real thing. Yeah. I would say if somebody is... Maybe there is somebody else. That is a problem. Yeah. And I think you should address it. You know, I think you should look at these issues in your heart. But it's this codifying of these things that are good. Yeah. And, you know, um, yeah, maybe Breaking Bad isn't the best thing. Well, maybe for you. Right. For me, I mean, I can tell you this. I have a, a theology of that. I, I marvel, and I mean this, at God in good writing, good yeah. acting, good literature. I heard Michael Horton say years ago, he was at a Carmen, or no, not a Carmen. That was his joke. <laughs> he was at a Clapton concert. I'm not a guitar guy, but guys that are, you know, which Steve, you yeah. the guy's like a genius, yeah. right? Yeah. So he said he's watching or and listening to uh, to Clapton, and he doesn't know what's going on. He had a personal worship experience hmm. because he's marveling at this level of skill, even if Clapton himself is not acknowledging. Yeah. He's marveling, and his joke was, "Yeah, I'd rather see Clapton than Carmen." <laughs> um, yeah, that was his little little yeah. joke there. I honestly, when I've watched Breaking Bad, and this is just my geeked out mind. Dude, I'm amazed at Vince Gilligan, mm-hmm. the mind behind it. What a brilliant guy he is. Yeah, yeah. Never heard that anything together. that tells me he's a believer. But I am thinking, this guy is amazing. And I'll quote Piper on this. Piper, in one of his quotes, says, Even the savage thrill of watching the speed and excellence of gladiators hacking each other to pieces is a dim echo, he says. Our marveling at that speed and skill. Marveling yeah. at the speed and skill of guys on a football field that can catch a ball that... I couldn't even dream of touching. Yeah. Um, 
there's something to that that yeah. echoes the created the, the creative glory of God, and I'm just not afraid to say it. Yeah, you know, and I, I in my life I have to determine, who is this an idol? Right. You know, I I've written about that subject. Right. We've talked about that before, yeah. and I. I quote uh, Zimmerman, a prof I had at seminary, said, you know what your idols are because when they shake, you shake. Yeah. 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 And if uh, something happens, if my TV is out for two days and I can't watch it and I'm angry with my kids and I'm bitter, it's a problem. Yeah. But it's always an internal problem. Right. That I have to take before the Lord. Right. So – I'm talking too much. Jump in. No, you're doing great. I'm thinking about Colossians 2 and Paul uses the word asceticism. Mm -hmm. He says – let no one disqualify you, insisting, verse 18, insisting on asceticism. Then he gives some examples of what he means, and one of them was a little earlier, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink mm-hmm. or festivals or, interestingly, new moons yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, or, or, or a Sabbath. These are all shadows. But then he says, he uses this broad term, let no one disqualify you, insisting, insisting, and they do, insisting on asceticism. So what is asceticism? He says, well, it's like when they say you can't eat this, and you can't drink that. Uh, are those the only examples of asceticism available to us? It's a great No, point. there are others. If somebody says you shouldn't look at art because art's going to depict what's in their hearts and the artists don't have good hearts and so you can't look at their art, doesn't glorify God, that's asceticism. Yeah. If somebody says you can't watch TV because yeah. blah, 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 that's asceticism. Yeah. And I do want to go back to the effort of cloister. You ought to yeah. go there sometime. Yeah. So there's this place just north of us in, in Pennsylvania, the effort of cloister, and in the, uh, I believe it, 1700s it was a thriving little place for a while it was a monastic order you had to take a vow of celibacy so guess what it lasted one generation they weren't (laughs) getting too many converts (laughs) their their tagline was join our movement you can't have sex and yeah nobody joined their movement but uh so uh here's what life was like in the cloister all the doorways were real low and at first you think well that's because they were shorter in those days now they weren't that short the the doorways were intentionally low to make you bow to humble you every time you went through a door you slept in a little room like bare walls bare floor there was a board a plank held up by chains uh and and a block was your pillow you would (laughs) lie on that board and on that block you were allowed I think it was uh, six hours of sleep a night. You could sleep for three hours. Then they woke you up ringing a bell, and you had to go to evening or you know, midnight vespers or whatever, and you'd worship and sing whatever. Then you could go th- sleep another three hours. Then you had to get up and work in the garden. You were allowed, I think, one meal a day. Maybe it was more than that, but all you got basically was like bread and water. Yeah. Right? So you, know, you just didn't have any fun. Wow. Okay? Yeah. Um, and, and this was you know, thought that you know, this is going to make you spiritual. This is going to make you yeah. holy. I think it's exactly what Paul's warning against in Colossians 2. Yeah. It's just asceticism. Yeah. So I, I think these folks who are coming along saying, you know, do not handle, do not taste, do yeah. not touch, are just modern-day asceticism. Yeah. Asceticism. What's mm-hmm. the word? Yeah. They're teaching asceticism. Ascetics? Would that be the word? Oh, that's it. Yes, I think, I think so. Ascetics. No, I think that's an excellent point. It, it, it's sort of Luther-like pre-conversion when you read his stuff. Yeah, I whip myself in my cell. Covering himself up in the summertime with heavy burlap sacks and uh-huh. blankets because he... I won't be comfortable kicking off the blankets in the winter. I, I yeah. can't be comfortable. It'll be evil if I'm comfortable. And the the one uh, I think Sproul's talked about it. The, the he's, he's at the dining hall at the monastery, and uh, you know he he's finished his food and he's folded his hands and waited. He's had his sufficient amount, and then he looks across at another monk who's got a few peas on his plate. Did did I covet that pea? And then immediately <laughs> runs to the abbot. You know, four hours. That's that's, oh, the that's point. terrible. See, I would say. The sweetest moments of my life, I remember um, hearing a powerful message by a guy, Jack Jack uh, Miller, who wrote a book called Repentance in the 20th Century Man, who was really onto the subject a long time ago. He was a PCA guy and sort of had a, a minority movement within the PCA at the time. But uh, hearing this message that a friend got, and it was just a, a beautifully simple but clear, who is Jesus? What has Jesus done for you? How does God the Father see you because of Jesus? And it was, I mean, I cry thinking about it. I had been a believer for, I don't know, 11 or 12 years at the time. Um, and I just, I, I, the, the joy that came over, it was almost like being converted again. Mm-hmm. It felt like being born again, again. It was a grace moment. True grace moment where I just thought, my word, I this past week or two weeks that has stunk in terms of, 
mm-hmm. quote unquote good spiritual discipline. Mm-hmm. Quite just thinking that the gospel tells me how he views me yeah. as righteous as Jesus. That the wisdom of Jesus that's displayed on the Sermon on the Mount, that, that's like mine in Christ. That the, the strength of moral character he showed when he stood up in the, in the hours of temptation, that's mine by virtue of Christ being in union with him. Just reminding of this thing. And I will tell you, my heart, my desire to please him was focused. And, and I, you know, it wasn't antinomian preaching. Yeah, It was gospel-centered grace preaching. And I, I, I honestly, I'm just saying, I didn't need somebody to come alongside me and said, don't you be a security. Yeah. It, my heart was there because I was refreshed in the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done. And I just wanted to serve and please him. And it was so freeing because yeah. you're so, sort of simultaneously knowing, even though I'm going to fail to serve and please in the way that I should, it, I, I, I still, that righteousness right. is mine. Um, so I, I just don't believe it. I, yeah. I, I don't believe that preaching clear gospel and rooting, pardon me, even the imperatives imperatives of the scriptures in the gospel. Uh, you know, and I will say Tully and Chavigian, you know, who has been, we that was our podcast a while ago, did his, was his theology discredited, just has such a great thought on indicatives and imperatives that mm-hmm. when you divorce imperatives from indicatives, what God has done, who Christ is, uh, they become impossibilities. And you're left with just moralism. Pure moralism and pure failure. Mm -hmm. Because what does the gospel, we cannot morally perfectly please. You're put in bondage, you're discouraged. Either you deceive yourself and think, I'm doing a good job. Agreed. Yeah, Yeah, I'm really keeping the law, I'm really obeying God, God must be very pleased with me. Yes. And then you expect goodies from God, maybe. Yes. Uh, Or you'll you'll be very depressed. I I agree. You Either way, your view of sin has to be disproportionate. It has to be that your sin is somehow, you would never say this, greater than the grace of God. Mm. Or your sin is extremely small. Yes. Uh, you, mm. you almost have a, I mean, a healthy I find, view. I find legalists doing that one more. I agree. Legalists I've known, they believe their sin is extremely small. Agree. And all these other people are horrible sinners, but, yeah. but they're doing pretty good. Man. I'd like to point some things out in yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the hardest part, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's... Um, the the self deception that takes place, yeah. Um, and I wow, see. Look, the Somebody's cars alarmed. on our church parking lot are in agreement. That's right with what we are saying. It's probably because of the blood moon last night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, see, this is another That's, sign now. That Alarms is true, man. And I've had two cups of coffee this morning, Steve, and unlike you, I have not had to use the restroom. Uh, so that's the blood moon, man. It's, uh, is that what that's doing? It's imparted. It's imbued me with some special. Uh, superhero force. Hezekiah four three. The car alarm shall go off, and yes. you shall not use the bathroom. Yes. Third uh, uh, Corinthians four twelve <laughs> says something similar. So, again, we talked about this on a podcast a few weeks back. But I, I'd like to be accused with Paul. I'm in Romans six now. Romans six one, and and Paul's been teaching about grace, 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 grace in Romans five. It's really nice. Grace is greater than sin. And so the adversaries say, well, then, you know, are you, we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul, of course, says, by no means, we've died to sin. But um, I, I'd like to have adver- adversaries who accuse me of too much grace. Yeah. I'd like to be right there yeah. with Paul. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure these guys that you're describing are going to have such adversaries. No, and, and we, we have mentioned this. I honestly think sometimes people feel like, well, if, I, if I'm caught an antinomian, I've probably I've not been careful enough. I'm uh-huh. like, no, you've been too careful, uh-huh. I, I think. And, and you have, I think, fenced in the glorious implications of the gospel, um, which are phenomenal. You yeah. know, I mean, it's, it's just phenomenal to me to think, uh, that God loves me because he loves me because he loves me. Yeah, this is embarrassing to admit, but I can remember a time years ago, California ministry, where uh, I was um, I was preaching a lot of duty uh-huh. and a lot of moralism. Yeah. It was all true. It was you know, stuff we ought to do as believers and so on. But it wasn't rooted in the indicatives. Mm-hmm. It was just imperatives upon imperatives upon imperatives. And some of the poor people were like getting burdened down. you know. Yeah. And, and a couple of people came to me and said, you know, basically they said, Pastor... Can we have some grace? Wow. That really made an impression on me. Wow. Mm. I had to look at the whole thing and realize, yeah, you know what? I've gotten this very out of perspective, hadn't I? Wow. Mm. Wow, Steve. These that's... people need grace. Yeah, it's because uh, it's, it's, it's what we all need. Yeah. You know, I think it's one of the most helpful things. It was modeled for me by a good friend to tell our kids, you know, when my kids have seen me blow it, 
you know, your first thought is you got the guilt and the paralysis and, uh, oh my goodness. I mean, I need to set a better model for the kids and, um, I don't want to lose that. I don't want to lose that desire, but I want it to be rooted in again, refreshed grace, Mm -hmm. man. I want to, I just want to serve him. I Mm -hmm. want to, um, give him my all and my best. Um, so I, I don't want to lose sight of that, but to be able to tell your kids when you're putting them to bed and mean it, you know, guys, daddy needs a savior too. When I tell you, you need a savior. I'm not just saying that for you. Like Mm -hmm. I need him just as much. And what you saw tonight, you know, when I, I lost, I was way out of line. Uh, I I need him, you know, and that's why we talk about him so much to you because you need him just like I need. I think it's important, Mm -hmm. you know, that our kids see, see that, you know, and I know people worry about the fine line and, um, you know, no, I don't think we tell our kids that, you know, every problem mommy and daddy are having mm-hmm. with each other. Like you tell your kids every, every temptation, you know, I had an impure thought towards somebody that wasn't your mother yesterday or something. I mean, there, there's balance here, but there is a, a desire that we're pointing our kids to the grace of God just as, as we are. Cause I've, I've heard some other people talk about this, that they taught their kids too much moralism and then they, you know, it, it, it backfires, yeah. you know, and, um, uh, that's a fear of mine. And Steve, you've got you're farther down the path than I am on this with your kids. That's a polite way of saying Steve's older. Yeah, go ahead, me. rub that in. Yeah, uh, you're. you're, well, you're I'm going to talk about how yeah, much hair I still yeah. have on the top of my head. <laughs> yeah. Your hey. head looks like a blood moon, brother. I know. <laughs> oh man, dude, I didn't walk into that. Oh. I dove into that. Um, it does, dude. You, know, you when I was at Myrtle Beach this summer, dude. When it got a little red up oh, there. Oh my goodness, man! It was like a big ripe cherry tomato. Um, with our kids, I mean, I have this desire. I don't want my kids to hate church, hmm. and I fear that. Uh, that's always it makes me nervous because I've talked to so many pastors whose kids have just said, "Oh, bad memories, bad associations," viewed through the uh, the aquarium and that sort of thing. Uh, I think that somehow ties into the way we teach our kids. Would you say about grace and we're all train wrecks? And Very much. I wish I had it to do over again. Um, uh, not only would I do more of the thing you were just talking about, I would tell my kids, yeah, dad's a train wreck too. I really need Christ. I really need grace. Yeah. I mess up. You just don't know all the ways. But I, I'd be a different dad now. I, I did way too much uh, moralistic teaching with my kids and uh, legalistic teaching with my kids because I felt pressure from church people. Uh, yeah. And I wasn't strong enough as an individual to say, you know, I don't give a rip what those people think. Right. I'm going to let my kids do what I think they ought to be able to do and so on and so forth. So I, I kowtowed to pressure from people. And also I was just worried, like, you know, I, 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 my family needs to look righteous. My family needs to look yeah. you know, good and godly and all that. So even down to dumb things like one of my kids and, and – uh, he was challenging sometimes. Uh-huh. Uh, he wanted this wacky hairstyle. Yeah. And I wouldn't let him have that wacky hairstyle. Yeah. I regret that. So you would. Now. If I could do it over again, I'd say, go ahead, kid, do it, man. Yeah. You know, comb that thing up in that big wave that you want. And <laughs> if you look like Elvis, I don't care. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I'll help you do it. Yeah. And that's what I do now. But I was just way too picky and worried about little things that didn't matter. And and you know, they get the impression. They're kids. They're trying to read this. What's this mean? This is the Christian life. Yeah. What dad is teaching us is the Christian way. You can't have these cool hairstyles or whatever. Right. Man, I regret that. Wow. And we kind of avoided culture. Like, yeah. for example, you know, John Piper would love me. We never had a TV. We did not want a TV. We never had a TV till our kids were maybe like fifth or sixth grade uh-huh. and video games were coming out. Oh, right, that, right. That yeah, that and, and they wanted to play some video games and we let them. Yeah. yeah. At least we let them do that. Uh, so we bought a TV for that. Wow. But we, we were like a no TV family. Sure, sure. Uh, we were rather ascetic and yeah. culturally yeah. removed. So, you know, I've been there. I've done that. You can't drag me back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's humble of you to admit, Steve. It's good for me to hear too, because as much as I love it and embrace it, I do find when I'm a parent in my in my parenting role, Lisa warns me about this all the time. You got to be careful. I'm a lot more uh, micromanaging than yes. I, would, I would ever have admitted. Yeah, yeah. You know? mm. uh, and I think, okay, I need to I need to think through this and hear. See, I'd, l- from I'd like to raise kids and not be a pastor. I know, I know. You know, yeah, it'd be know. different, right? Because you're be not different. worried about what are all the people thinking and then what's our persona look like here and all. Um, but I didn't get to do that. I raised kids as a pastor and I made a lot of mistakes consequently. I'd like to do it again and I not do those mistakes. Appreciate that, Steve. I, I have had times where Lisa has tongue-in-cheek said, but she's meant it, 
when it, more so when they were a little younger and one or two of them were challenging. Um, and I would talk to Lisa after church and she looked, you know, uh, exasperated, tired. I said, you're doing all right, Lisa. She says, just another week of saving your ministry and reputation. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, all that's her says, life's goal. Huh? I hate that. <laughs> that she feels like, because you want there to be a, in any church, this isn't saying about CFC or Trinity. You want there to be a sense in which just just be who you are, and yeah. be, be, let your kid be who your kid yeah, is. Let them be individuals, and, and let the there not want. be a ooh. ooh I didn't think uh-huh. a pastor's child would uh-huh. do this sort of thing, and uh, yeah, but it is a common pastoral problem. See, this is all again another preview, Nathan, for our eventual PK podcast. I know, oh. I know, we're we getting will. there. We will. We're getting there. We will. All right, guys, we are um, out of time now, so we're going to go ahead and wrap up. And once again, we just rocked the Casbah. Sorry, Kevin DeYoung. These guys are 11.